0: Woo, that's right. Alright, that's going to be a good class. Upstairs, you guys are going if you're interested in starting point. Well, today's a great day. Um, we are breaking from our series. I'll explain that in just a second. But exciting things are happening. Our community pastor, uh, Grant Ryder, and his wife Leah had their baby girl yesterday, which was pretty exciting. Her name, let me make sure I get it right Eliana. Jordan Ryder. So that's exciting uh, that they had their second girl be praying for them. I think mom, baby are healthy, and that's really exciting. There's a lot of babies being born in our church here right now. Nursery workers better get ready. It's going to be exciting. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. Um, so I'm a planner. Anybody else planner? Any planner? I have like, every message planned out. But I purposely this year planned out three extra like blank days in my uh, messages. And it turns out it was good because... People are having babies. We're having a couple babies, too, it turns out. Um, so there's things coming up, and we have a problem that we need to address today, and this is kind of we're breaking from the series. So if you're like, Matt, I thought I was going to be here for the Belong series. Too bad you're going to have to come back next week.
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry. Um, we'll jump back into that series next week, and we'll go through the rest of October in that series, Belong, because we've been uh, looking at this modern phenomenon that we've never been more connected, yet we've never felt more alone. That's kind of our modern phenomenon. How does the Bible, how can God's word address us and help us through this time we're living in? So we'll jump back into that next week and then starting in November, ooh, I'm excited about this series. God and science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God and science. This is going to be good. We have so many people in our church that are in the medical field or in scientific fields, people with PhDs, and throughout this series we're going to interview some of them. How do God and science work together? Because a lot of people think they're enemies. Is that true? We're going to address that in this series. So if you've ever had questions about things like, does creation and evolution work together? Like, how do those happen? I've never seen a miracle. Do they really happen? Like we're going to address all of those different things about God and science. So this series is going to be great for all of us in November. So bring your questions, even send me your questions if you have some Okay, Maybe we can address them in the series. So that's going to be great. But today we are breaking from our series today for a standalone message because we have a problem. We have a problem that needs to be fixed as a church. So we're going to address it. We're just going to talk about it here in, in this message. But also we're going to look in the Bible. We do that every week, don't we? God's Word is so good, so applicable. We're going to look at a story, and I was reminded of a story in the Bible that maybe you're familiar with, maybe not, but I felt it was so practical for the problem we're facing in this church and I think the problem that a lot of us can face as individuals. So we're going to apply some of the lessons we learned from our passage today to us as a church, but I think you're going to be able to take this and apply it to your own lives as well for a lot of different aspects. So if you're like, oh, what what's the problem? What are you talking about? It's going to be good. Okay. So we are a church, and we own this building. I don't know if you knew this. It's a pretty cool building. I don't know if you were aware, but you are worshiping right now in a hangar. That's cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> one person cheers. This is Hangar 61. This is part of the original Stapleton Airport here in the area. This is on the historic registry. I don't know if you knew that. But it was built in the 50s by a concrete company. And because they were a concrete company, they were, like, inventing brand-new ways to use concrete. And that's why our roof is actually one of a kind. It's unique. Uh, And we're on the historic registry because of that. It's, I mean, think about it. There's no supports in the middle of this hangar, which is pretty incredible how they built it. We're going to talk about that because it also causes some problems. Um, But it's a historic building. These are the original walls. Those are the original hangar doors. There used to be a private jet for that um, concrete company that was in here. So the, the building sat empty for quite a while, and then in 2010, our church purchased this building, which is awesome. What an incredible thing. We, we purchased it, and we actually own this outright. We don't have any mortgages on the building. What a huge blessing, right? To make it even more incredible is that we are the only church in all of Stapleton that owns their building. The only one, yeah. Incredible blessing that we own it. We renovated it in 2010 and 2011, moved in. It's been just an incredible space that we get to worship in every day. Or every week, and we have different things going on every day during the week. And yeah, I don't know if you knew this, but there's going to be 40,000 people that live in Stapleton by the end of 2021. 40,000 people. Now, what they say in the church world is that saturation point for churches, if you're a marketing person or sales or whatever, you know that. The saturation point is one church for every 1,000 people. So we need 40 churches in Stapleton, Right? And there's like four or five, and we're the only one with the building. Most of them are meeting in churches. Some great churches, Journey Point and Go Church. We're friends with them. There's another church that opened up that that are meeting in a school down the street. I just met the pastor a couple weeks ago. I'm so excited about that. We want to be friends with all the pastors because we're all on the same team, by the way. I don't know if you knew this. We're all on the same team. We pray for each other and encourage each other. Um, But we need more churches. And then if you look at places like, oh my gosh, well, what about Green Valley Ranch? There's thousands and tens of thousands of people moving out there, and there's like two churches out there. Okay, so there's so much need around us, and there's so few churches. So this building is so helpful that we own it, right? What an incredible blessing. But we have some problems. Our roof needs to be repaired. Okay, we're going to get to that in a second. Because this is our spiritual house. Now, the church is not a building. That's a little newsflash for some of you. The church is not a building. Yes, thank you, Tracy. Church is not a building. In fact, one of our signature themes here is that we are the church. Be the church. We are committed to be, because we as individuals, wherever we gather together, even if it's in a hangar, you know, it doesn't have to be a cathedral. If it's a hangar, the two or three are gathered together in my name, boom, that's the church. So we are the church. We meet in this building, but we love this building, and we've got to take care of it because it's our spiritual house, and it's falling apart. <laughs> it's falling apart. So I'm a first-time homeowner. Owned our home for about a year and a half now. And what happens when you buy your first home? Yeah, there's problems, right? So we've got our home, it's 2007, we're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be great. It's not that old of a house, right? But that's when everything just starts to break down. Our water meter broke. Come on, water meter? We've got to replace that. What a fun joy for our new home to replace the water heater. And then we had this terrible hailstorm that only got like our tiny little neighborhood. So we've got to replace the roof and the gutters. Okay, there's a you know, fork over the deductible for that. Okay, so all these things. That's what happens when you have a home though, right? You have to fix it. You have to repair it, even things that you weren't maybe excited about. You were like, ooh, we're going to do this in our new home. Uh Uh-oh, no, we've got to do this, right? That's what happens, and it's the same thing when we have this building. That's our church, including things like the roof not being up. So in your own homes, maybe you've done this. Your AC goes out in the summer. Okay, You can open up windows for a little while, but it was a hot summer, right? Okay, The winter's coming, your HVAC is out. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, got a fixed furnace now. You do it, right? Because it's your house and you take care of it. You steward it. You take care of that home. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And it reminded me of a story from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from a man named Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah. Now, if you're unfamiliar with that, that's okay. I'm going to catch you up today because we're only going to be in this book of Nehemiah for one message today. And I have a little timeline of the Bible that you can look at so you get kind of an idea of what is going on here in this book of Nehemiah. So God's people... Well, were united in the kingdom under David, right? He united all of Israel. He was the king who, who ruled over Israel. Things were really good. And then just a couple kings later, they divided the nation. The north and the south kind of split in a civil war, never to be united again. And then what happened, this period that's called the exile, was that these different foreign nations were very powerful, and they came in and attacked God's people And sent them into exile So first was the Assyrians And they came and attacked and they took the people And in order to weaken them They would move them from their homeland And only leave like the poorest of the poor And they would take them and make them live Into the foreign nation Especially into the foreign capital So it was first the Assyrians And then the Babylonians came and attacked And did the same thing to the southern kingdom And so eventually no one was left Except the poorest of the poor living there in Israel But then another nation came That was even more powerful than those first two empires, the Persian Empire. And they came and took over, and these Persians, even though they were pretty awful, terrible people, they were kind of nice too, which is weird. I mean, but if you study history, you know that that happens sometimes. So these Persians were like, well, you guys are living in a foreign nation. I think it'd be fine if some of you guys go home, which is a big deal. So now they're returning from exile, right? So this had begun to take place because the Persians said, fine, go home. Go home. And if you've read the book of Ezra... That is when that um, return begins, the return from exile, and Ezra goes back into Israel. Everything is destroyed. The entire city is uh, uh, just a terrible place, and the temple has been toppled over stone after stone. So Ezra takes the job. He's like, we've got to rebuild the temple. This is God's house. Let's rebuild it. So that gets rebuilt. But then the city was still lying in ruins for almost uh, 100 years, and that's where Nehemiah comes on the scene. So Nehemiah was actually one of the people who stayed in the Persian Empire – we don't know what reason. And he kind of worked his way up the ranks, and he became the cupbearer to the king, the emperor of Persia. Now, a cupbearer, um, you know, if you know anything about history, they were the person who tasted the wine, so the king wouldn't get poisoned and die, right? So they would be the dyer first, right? That was your job. So it was terrible in some ways, because if someone was going to get poisoned, you were going to get poisoned first. But it was also great because you got to eat the king's food and drink the king's wine. And you got to be in the presence of the king. So this position almost became an advisor to the king. a Very prominent position. So Nehemiah, even though he's part of the people of God, he's a Jew, he's an Israelite, but he's living in the Persian Empire and in a very powerful position of influence. And that's when he hears about the problem that's going on in the homeland, in Jerusalem, in Israel. So that's where we pick up this story in chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2, but... We're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 right now. It says, They said to me, so here's some messengers coming to Nehemiah when he's in the throne room of the emperor. They say, Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. They're like, things are bad, Nehemiah. You haven't been home maybe ever. You've lived here maybe your entire life in the Persian Empire. But things are bad. There's trouble. There's disgrace. The walls of the city are down, meaning the city wasn't protected. There were no police officers in those days. And if you've ever locked your doors, you know how important walls are, right? So somebody mentioned to me, oh, is this like build a wall? I'm like, no. Okay? This was a different type of wall because they just needed a wall because there were different people that would try to rob all the time. It was a dangerous time to live in. So if you didn't have walls, you weren't anything. And the big problem was it was disgraceful. you didn't have walls, you weren't a city. And if you didn't have a city, you weren't a people. You were just the poorest of the poor. And this was what God's people were left in. It's just this terrible state. Look at the disgrace of this. Everything's broken down. It's been burned. Yeah, there might be a temple, but the city is awful. It's in a terrible state. There is a big problem, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah sees this problem, and he does what all good followers of Jesus should do, followers of God. He starts to pray. Verse four: When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. For days, he is praying. What am I supposed to do? God, can you help us? Why are we in such disgrace? Can we get out? this? God. Please help. Who knows what he's saying? But he's crying too. This is very emotional for him. He feels the burden of this problem that he and God's people are facing. And he even fasts as he's praying. Do you know what fasting is? No. Some people do it spiritually, not just when the doctor orders it, right? Okay. It's not just for medical tests. We're supposed to fast as God's people in order to draw closer to God and connect with him. One of the things that happens when you're fasting is you get hunger pains. You know what I'm talking about? It's not just you skip breakfast, right? Okay, You get these hunger pains, and that directs you to God. It reminds you to turn back to God in prayer. We are planning, like we've been doing every single January, another 21 days of prayer. I I got together with Gerardo Alvarez this week. Gerardo, wave your hand a little bit. Gerardo is our prayer team leader. Um, He and Jasmine Hendricks co-lead that team. And we're planning, like thinking about what are we going to do 21 days of prayer this year. But we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. So we want to encourage and challenge everyone to to take part in the fast in some way or another. Um, Because did you know that Jesus taught us when you fast? Those are literally his words. Not if you fast. If you want to do it. No, he said when you fast. And then he went on to describe how to fast. So we're going to do it. But the point is you do this because you need to pray for something. He's praying. He's trying to figure out what to do about the situation. He's lacking wisdom. Doesn't know what to do moving forward. So he's praying. He's praying. So that's... The first thing. And then what happens is something kind of incredible. Is that he's in the throne room of the emperor. And the emperor looks at him and he says, you look sad. The emperor talks to this servant who's there and he says, you look sad. What's going on? So once again, Nehemiah prays. It's really interesting. He says he prayed real quick. And then he answered. Sometimes prayers are like that, right? Boom. Quick prayer. Got to move on. Okay, and that's what Nehemiah does. And he tells the emperor what's going on. And out of nowhere, the emperor says, okay, why don't you take some time off and go home and fix the wall? Why don't you go do that? And on top of that, I'm going to make sure that you have all the supplies, all the wood that you're going to need for that building project. And I'm going to send some soldiers with you. It's not going to be safe on the trip there and when you get there because there's no walls. So I'm going to send some soldiers with you. This is an incredible favor that this emperor is giving to Nehemiah. So he has a problem. He's prayed about it. Now he's going home to prepare, to plan for what to do next. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11, Nehemiah writes, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. Okay, so he hasn't told anybody. Why? Probably didn't know what to do yet. He's trying to figure this out. He doesn't want to get people excited or worried. Because at this point, people had tried to rebuild the wall already. Some hundred years before this. And they had been failure after failure after failure. People had given up completely. Nobody was even trying to build the wall now. So he's like, I've got to check out the problem first. Figure things out. I've got to prepare before I present the problem. And in verse 13 he says, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate. And if you continue on, it goes through each gate of the walls. Not that each gate matters or you need to memorize which gate is where. But what the point is is that he's looking at all the details. He's examining the problem. He's preparing. saying, I've got to get a good lay of the land. I've got to figure this out. What's really interesting is that in the early 60s, 1960s, there were some excavations done around the city of Jerusalem, and they found where a lot of these giant stones from the wall had fallen down the valley floor, because Jerusalem is a city on a hill, fallen down in the valley. In case you didn't know this, the Bible is true. Yeah, And excavations, archaeology, prove that these things actually happened. We have... This proof now that, yeah, this actually happened. The city was destroyed. The, these boulders or these huge stones fell into the valley. So Nehemiah is going around all of this, looking at the debris, looking where the burn is for the different gates, and just figuring out what's going on. What's the problem? What are the details? How are we going to rebuild this? How long might this take, this type of construction? That spot, oh, that looks fine. But right here, an entire army can go through this wall, right? We've got to fix this. This is going to take a lot of time to fix this section. That's what he's doing. Before he tells anyone, he's preparing, right? And I'm pointing all this stuff out. It's going to apply a lot to our situation in a moment. But I just want to say this. Nehemiah seems, seems at first glance, to be someone who's just a very practical leader. Okay, we read the Bible and there's people like Moses, lifts up his stick, Boom! The Red Sea parts, plagues come down on Egypt. The water turns to blood. You look at Joshua and he's going in these huge battles and all of a sudden the sun stands still. Incredible miracles are happening. And then there's Nehemiah who builds a wall. And and if you read through it first, you're like, what the heck? Why does he get his entire book of the Bible named after him? There's no miracles in his story. There's no, you know, these incredible stories. He doesn't get swallowed by a fish and survive, right? And yet he's in here. And I think there's something so important about that because there are these very practical things that God cares a lot about. There's this interesting book that I recommend um, to anybody who's a leader, or if you're a reader, and leaders are readers, right? So if you're a leader in any realm, in in your family, at work, um, in the community, you should read this book. It's called Visioneering by Andy Stanley. And what he does is he looks at the life and times of Nehemiah and he takes all the leadership principles out of it to talk about how you could be a leader too. So much to learn, just practical stuff. That's kind of what we're doing today. We're looking at these practical things that Nehemiah was doing. But this is so important for us to do because this is such a practical problem, and yet it has a very spiritual component to it. And that's what we're going to see here. As Nehemiah is just examining the wall, he's preparing for what to do. God is at work in this situation. It can be the same thing in your lives too. Like I haven't had my miracle yet, Turn, waiting for my fishes and loaves to multiply, right? Okay, but there's some very practical things that we do that God can be at work in. Well, if you're taking notes, okay, think about it. So now Nehemiah has prepared; he's he's come up with a plan, and now he presents that plan to the people. There's so all these people now living in Jerusalem, some have come back, not just the poorest of the poor, but there's other people living there. They're just trying to make ends meet; things are not good. And Nehemiah addresses them in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. He said, look around. They're probably at the city gates that had been burned. He said, you see them. You live here. You know what's going on. I've only been here for a few days. But you have been living among this rubble. You know that everything is terrible right now. Things are bad. The wall is broken. We need help. The gates do not exist. We've got to deal with this. This is a problem. See, this is what a good leader does. It says, this is what the problem is. You've got to feel the weight of this. And then in verse 17, he doesn't just present the problem, but he proposes a solution. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace have some civic honor, right? Step up. This is our city. We are God's people. We can't live in disgrace like this. We're not even a people right now. We've got to build the walls up. We've got to fix the gates. We're in disgrace. So he's presenting a solution. We can do this together. Now, these people, probably most of them were farmers. They were just doing the basics to get by. And Nehemiah is saying, hey, you're going to need to leave that. And we're all going to come together and we're going to work on his walls. I don't care if for a hundred years nobody's been able to get this project off the ground. We're going to do it. We are going to do this together. Come let us rebuild, he says. Here's the solution. Here's the solution that he presents. But then what's amazing is what he does next. And this is where we can see the spiritual element. In verse 18 he says, I also told them, about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So he's saying, hey, this is a practical problem that we're just dealing with, right? It's a material problem. And yet God is working in this. God is working in this. He's saying, look for God's fingerprints. Do you Remember we had a message in the Ruth series about this? If you missed that, you can go back. It was, I think, called God's Fingerprints. And it was just like, look in your lives. It might not be this crazy miracle, but maybe it's a crazy coincidence How the heck did that happen? You know, how did I have just enough money to pay for that? Or how did I run into that person at just the right time? And there's these different things that we look back. In the moment, we might not even notice it, but we can look back and we're like, wow, God's fingerprints were all over that. And we as believers say that's not just coincidence. It's providence, right? It's God working in it. So Nehemiah says, hey, look, I went to the emperor of a king who rules over us. And he said, hey, I want you to take some time off as long as it takes. Go home, fix the wall, here's some money, here's all the supplies you need, and here's an army to protect you. And what Nehemiah is saying is that's not normal. That was God's grace the whole time. It was his fingerprints all over this. He provides them evidence that God is at work, right? This is what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, hey, this isn't just a practical matter. God is at work in this. And then what's amazing now is that the people produce. Verse 18. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The people hear it. They know there's going to be opposition. They know it's going to be difficult. They know that there are people who hate this. If you read through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you know that they were like, literally like a mob. that didn't want walls to be rebuilt because if there were no walls, they could just go in and take whatever they wanted. So they were going to oppose this. They were even going to try to put political pressure on this to stop the emperor from giving them the ability to do this. They're going to face lots of opposition. In fact, they would even be afraid for their lives and there would be this point where they basically have like a pick or a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other because they're so afraid that they're going to get attacked and killed. These farmers are out there going to be working for days and weeks and months, but they say, let's do it. We're going to produce this law. We're coming together and we're going to step up to face the problem that we have been facing. What I love about this whole story of Nehemiah is that it's a very practical thing. Very material problem. Walls are broken down. And yet, it's a very spiritual thing. And I don't think we should separate those two. So I'm going to give you a big idea today, and it's, we're going to apply it to our church in just a minute, but I think you can apply it to your lives as well. Okay? That we can and should know that fixing a material problem for a spiritual purpose is not just a good work, god's work okay this is a material problem right but when we're doing it for a spiritual purpose it's about something bigger than ourselves and it was to remove the disgrace from these people these people are living in shame they're not a people we're going to unite these people and remove their shame that's spiritual we're doing this for god it is not just a good work it's god's work okay and i want you to know this because some of you guys are working jobs and you're thinking this doesn't matter well it does it does. What, when you're facing problems and you're fixing things, when you're making our world a better place, even if it just seems like a material thing, does this really matter? It's just a practical thing. It does. It's a spiritual thing if you do it for God. If you do it for the good of those around you, to love your neighbors. There was a woman who was just starting in the first service her, at uh, the culinary school at Johnson Wales, first semester. If you love your neighbor by the food you make, that's a spiritual thing. Okay? Give us this day our daily bread. Boom. Wow, God's just working through this person to make the daily bread. That's loving our neighbors. It's the simple thing as that. If we're doing it for a spiritual purpose, it's not just good work. It's God's work. A.W. Tozer once wrote, It is not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular. It is why he does it. It is why he does it. When you become a follower of Jesus, you don't need to quit your job and become a missionary or a pastor. You don't. You probably shouldn't. Maybe a few of you are called to do that. But God wants us and he needs us in all these different things, even if it's in construction. I think there's another guy who was in construction for a few years before he went into ministry. I think his name was Jesus. Heard of him? Literally a carpenter, right? Okay, working those material jobs are so important if we're doing them for God. If we're doing it to make the world a better place, it's to love our neighbors. If you're a teacher, you're doing, working in medicine. If you're in construction, whatever the job is, if we're doing it for God, it's a spiritual thing. There's no difference between sacred and spiritual or sacred and secular when we do things for God. That's what we see with Nehemiah, this very practical leader. Let's build a wall. Let's put some gates up. He's doing it for God, and it's a spiritual thing. Do you guys see this? So you can apply this to your own life. What you're doing with your career is spiritual work. You're in ministry. Did you know that? You are in ministry no matter what you do, if you do it for God. Fixing a material problem for a spiritual purpose is not just a good work. It's God's work. And you're joining him in that work. That's amazing. And this is what Nehemiah shows us. He's fixing problems, right? Very practical things, pragmatic things. But yet it's so important. So why did I change from our series to do this message today? Well, we have the problem with our roof. I want to tell you the problem that we have. Okay, This is the problem. I want to show you some pictures. So in this incredible historic Hangar 61, there's this great roof, but all the tension in this roof is being held up um, by these abutments that are on either corner of our building. And these abutments have a ton of tension on them. The whole roof is being held up by these two abutments. Now on one of them, you can start to see some cracking. Let's go back to that last one, just a second. So there's some cracking there, right? So this is the problem. We've been praying about it for a while. The Elder Board, Finance Board, we even had the prayer team working on this one for a while. Like what are we supposed to do? Well, we've been working with some structural engineers to come out and take a look at this. Because is this a bigger problem? Is this just cracking in concrete? What's going on? Well, this section right here is probably leading to some structural damage. Okay? The whole roof is being held up by that. Now, they're not saying that the roof is going to cave in. Okay? You don't have to run out of here right now. <laughs> in fact, they're like, oh, you could go months, years without any issues. But eventually it could be a major problem because this is structural. All the tension of the roof is being held up by these two abutments. And let's look at the second one too. So this one, it's not structural yet, but it could lead to structural damage. A lot of the concrete damage, if you walk around the building, you'll see some of it. Um, A lot of it is just, you know, looks. It's just the facade work. It just needs to get fixed, which we're going to work to fix that too. But in these abutments, they need to not only, that one needs to be fixed, but they need to be protected for the future so this doesn't happen. Because I don't know if you know this, but we live at a mile high. We're kind of close to the sun. Sun beats down on concrete pretty bad. So we've got to put something over this to protect the concrete. And there's a lot of freezing and thawing here in the winters. And it's even worse because of the sun, because it thaws even quicker. So this is causing a lot of damage. Okay, here's something even crazier to make the damage worse. In case you didn't think that was enough, three weeks ago we got struck by lightning. Yeah. In the 60 years this building has stood here, we got struck by lightning for the first time three weeks ago. And this huge chunk of the roof came off. People were here in the building. It was the night of our first night service. (laughs) We started with a bang. (laughs) Came off. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. But man, now there's, and we look at this next picture. This is from the top. You can see that some rebar is now exposed. So this area, it's not bad right now. There's no structural damage. But if we let it go through the winter and the rebar rusts, it will cause a structural problem. So this is a problem we need to address sooner rather than later. So that's the problem. We've been praying about it a lot. We've been preparing. We've been talking with all these structural engineers. We've got three different opinions on this to make sure we're going in the right direction. We talked to all sorts of different people. Um, we're beginning to get a list of contractors, and we're going to start working with them. And what we found out is that we have a problem. So that's my job, just like Nehemiah, and Maya, to present the problem to you, right? I'm doing that right now, <laughs> okay? Here's the problem. It's going to cost about $110,000. Oh, yeah. Okay. You thought your roof was bad, right? You're heated. Hundred ten thousand dollars to fix this and protect it going forward. Okay. Now, last week we just bo- voted on our five hundred thousand dollar budget. That's just to make our preschool, our church run, all the ministries that are going on here, supporting our missionaries. So we're like, oh, where does the hundred ten thousand dollars come from? Okay, that's the problem we have. But what we're going to do is we're proposing a solution right now. We need you guys to get Okay. We are doing a project that we're calling. You're going to like this. Raise the roof. Can everybody just do this with me right now? Raise the roof. That's what we're going to do for this project. $110,000. It may sound like a lot, but it's not because we want our building outright. This is incredible that we can fix this moving forward, that we're going to raise the roof. Okay, so we're working on this project, and we've been working behind the scenes. And I want to tell you this. I, I, you know, Nehemiah talked about God's fingerprints in this. God's fingerprints are already on this project. Okay, This is a cool thing. So I was having, a, we were having a lot of problems even just getting a structural engineer on the phone, because there's a lot of building going on in Denver, right? These guys are busy. So I talked to everyone I knew, and my older brother was like, "Oh, I have a structural engineer in my small group from church. Talk with him." So I, I finally get him on the phone, and he said, "Okay, I'll, I'll show up." Now most of these guys charge like 800 bucks just to like show up. You got to pay before they even show. Up. This guy came for free, and as a favor, looked at everything for us. Incredible, like that he was willing to do that. And then he's like, I used to work, my old firm is actually a specialist in this. You've got to talk with them. And they were the ones who renovated this years ago to get it ready for sale. So they already have the specs. So you're going to save thousands of dollars if you work with them. You put us in touch with them and they, even though they didn't answer our phone, the phone before, we got in touch with them. We're working now. And it turns out another guy that I went to college with who was actually the guy that pushed me to actually ask Melissa out on a date – Turns out he, two years ago, became a structural engineer. So he gave us his opinion for free as well. So we got three different reports on this, and they're working ahead. So God is at work already. And here's another cool thing that happened is that I was saying, hey, we've got to raise this $110,000. And it could be more, give or take. We're still waiting to work with the contractors. That's just – we're aiming high. We're guessing high. But we're working with them, and I told this to a group of guys here in our church, and we were praying that morning. And I said, hey, it's going to be $110,000. And one guy pulls me aside afterwards. He says, Matt. I thought it was really weird this morning. He pulls out his wallet and he said, I have $110 cash in my wallet. And now I know why I have it. He hands it to me. So we are one thousandth of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, that, this, what a weird coincidence, right? And here's another crazy coincidence. We got struck by lightning. Okay? Think about this. The insurance looks at this and says, most of this is just maintenance. It's normal wear and tear. But when you get struck by lightning... All of a sudden, insurance is saying, hey, we could help with that. Because when it's this crazy weather event or an act of God, have you ever heard of that in some of the literature? <laughs> then they'll say, okay, maybe we can help with that. And even crazier, after the first service, a brand new guy to our church said, hey, I'm an insurance adjuster. I'll help you with that. Yeah, I mean, God is working in this already. He's been at work, and I can see God's fingerprints on this, and I know that even though $110,000 is above and beyond our normal budget, how are we going to do that? God's already got the money. Um, And and we're asking you guys to step up and give We're asking you guys to step up and give Now we have a lot of people that use our building throughout the week And we're going to ask everyone to contribute Um, But you guys as our church We are the ones who are called to step up Right? And that's when that last part of When God's people stepped up to help Nehemiah We are called to step up Now we use our building throughout the week for all sorts of stuff We have three different recovery groups That meet here during the week And we charge them like nothing Nothing Um, Just enough to keep the lights on because we know that they're doing important ministry, helping people recover from addiction and all sorts of stuff. We have a preschool that's one of the ministries in our church that meets here during the week. We have all sorts of other outside ministries and outside businesses that come in. We have a church that speaks Spanish that meets here Sunday afternoons. All of this stuff happens because we have a roof, right? We have a building, okay? So all of that ministry is enabled to happen because of that. So we're asking you guys to step up and give to this project. If you've been influenced at all by this church, if you've been helped at all by having this roof over your head, let's give up. Let's fix our house, okay? That's what we do when your house needs to be repaired, right? And here's the thing: God is at work right now. God is at work. I don't know if you knew this, but a few weeks ago we did launch our night service, 6 p.m. It's going awesome. We've seen almost a hundred more people a week than we were seeing just a couple months ago. God is at work. Yeah, it's pretty incredible how many. Yeah. Um, since I, I got here at the early beginning of 2017, we've grown by almost double in our weekly services and attendance. That's incredible. We're seeing uh, almost 200 people sign up for community groups, the most we've ever had, 16 community groups. Right? This is our record number. Um, yeah, here's an attendance mark. You can see the, the, the trajectory looks pretty good, right? You can see that trend line going up. The big days are Easter, in case you're wondering. They kind of
1: bump off right?
0: But the trajectory overall is going in the right direction. But God's doing really cool things here. The people that are, are in leadership now, we have twice as many in leadership. We have over three times as many people volunteering and serving in different ministry areas in our church. God's doing incredible things here. And we want to make this continue. And, and we already know if you've been out in our parking lot, it's too small. Did you notice? Yeah, yeah. And I'm sorry about that. <laughs> But this is what we have right now. So we're trying to figure out, okay, do we need a shuttle? Do we need to figure out some of these parking issues? Yes, we do. We're also, if you were here last Sunday, we were packed in here. Like we are trying, we added some more seats this week. But We're even saying, hey, this upstairs, you can blow it out and make a balcony up here. But if we do that, then we need another classroom. Well, where's the classroom going to come from? That's going to cost money too. So there's these different things that we're thinking and praying about. But before any of that can happen, we've got to raise the roof. Okay? We've got to just repair our building and our house so that all of those things can be made possible. We're looking at the future, and we're dreaming. We realize we live in an area, like I shared, with very few churches. We have a lot to do. We have a lot to do to reach people. I, um, we have a Spanish-speaking church renting from us, but why aren't we as a church doing something with Spanish-speaking ministry when we have tens of thousands of people living just south of us that speak Spanish? We're like, hey, that's an area that we should probably explore, Right? I met with our city councilman who himself is a Christian, Chris Herndon. And he said, Matt, we have a problem in Northeast Denver. I said, yeah, tell me about it. He said, people west of Quebec in North Park Hill don't associate with people in Stapleton, east of Quebec, right? He said, I call it the Mason-Dixon line of Denver. I was like, yeah. He's like, could you help me fix that? I was like, we can do something. We'll work on it. I think as a church, we're part of that reconciliation, right? That we can help reach people. There's so many people... Of different nationalities, of different ethnicities around us, and we are called to be the church for everyone, right? There's all these things, and there's pl- places like Green Valley Ranch and Reunion that we're looking at and targeting and saying, "Hey, we don't need just our church. We need new churches. We need to plant churches up there." But all these things that we're dreaming about in the future aren't going to work unless we fix up the roof. <laughs> I know it's you know we're looking at it like that's the project. My AC went out. The water meter's broken. Come on. But yet that's what we do, right? We take care of our house. So this is what we're going to do right now. I have the ushers in the back, and they are actually going to pass out some envelopes right now. Um, They're going to pass these envelopes out to everyone. I know Souris over here, Patrick, passing out some envelopes. And then if you need a pen, raise your hand. What we're just asking you to do is just prayerfully consider contributing to the Raise the Roof project. Okay? Prayerfully considered on the envelope or a few suggested amounts, but if you want to get something different. And and what we want everybody to do is either put the cash and check in right now, or you could just mark something and put it in the offering plate when it passes by in just a second, as kind of you're saying, this is what I'm going to give. I can't give it right now. But this is what I think. Let's be honest. Every single one of us could give $110 to this. Okay, Every single one of us could give $110 to this. Maybe you need to go without cable for a month. Ooh. Or, or maybe not go out for a few meals in the next month, and you could have that $110. Maybe you could just skip the meals totally and fast. I mean, yeah, that's a little joke right there. You'd probably be okay if you fast for a few meals. But maybe you could do that. I think everyone could contribute that. And I believe if everyone who's coming to our church and coming throughout the week gave $110, well, we'd be halfway there. Uh, we'd be halfway there. But there's some of you that are going to be challenged to give more. Some of you need to say, hey, we could give 1100 $1,100. We could give a one-time gift of that amount. Or, or maybe it's more. Maybe it's $11,000. If we just had you know, a few people step up and give that, we'd be there pretty quick, right? And, and we just want to encourage you and challenge you as a, as a family, as an individual, to prayerfully consider what you could give as a one-time gift or, or maybe as a, a monthly gift recurring until we get there. Now, if you're here for your first time, if you're a guest, if this isn't your church home, you don't need to give. Okay? I'm just saying that. You don't have to. This isn't an offering for you. This isn't a special gift. But if this is your church home, if you've been influenced at all by this church and you want to see our church reach more people for Christ, we need to step up. When Nehemiah presented the problem to God's people, when he said, hey, the wall's broken down, We need some help, the people who for 100 years could not get the job done, do you know how quickly they got that wall built? In 52 days. The people stepped up. And we're like, we're getting this done. And I think that we as a church can step up as well. Fifty-two it's two days, it would be great. Be praying for that. But however long it takes, we can do this because God is doing great work here. And this is what it takes. We've got to raise the roof. And the biggest reason why we need to raise the roof is because lives are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ here. We are going to hear in just a minute celebrate the reason why we need a roof. <laughs> It enables ministry to happen here. That's why we have a roof. And we're going to see four people get in the waters of baptism today. That's pretty incredible. They all picked the 1045 service. You guys are in it for a treat today. This is why we do it. We want more of this to happen. We have four other people that have signed up for the next time we do baptism. Maybe you will as well. Because this is when we publicly declare our faith. So I'm going to pray. We're going to collect our offering. And once again, we're asking you to give above and beyond our our regular giving. You can give online. Stable if you're watching online. Um, ...under the Give tab, there is now a way that you can give just to the Raise the Roof Fund. Um, and we're going to collect our offering, we're going to watch a, a, a video... ...and then we're going to hear those testimonies from those who are getting baptized... ...and then we're going to get some Dunkin'. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful for this day, um, this problem that we're facing in this church. It, it sometimes seems so big, but we know that you are so much bigger. That you have a cattle on a thousand hills. That $110,000 is nothing to the God of the universe. And I pray that you'd stir in our hearts so that we could be a part of giving to rebuild this wall, to fix it. And Lord God, I just pray that you'd help the money come in quickly, that you'd give us um, a great contractor um, that could work on this project that would even charge less than what we are expecting. Lord God, we pray it could be done quickly and that we as a church could be coming together as the people of God to do this, fix this material project for spiritual purpose. Because it's not just a good work, it's God's work, it's your work. We're so grateful for that. Amen. We are so blessed to own Hangar 61, free and clear. It truly is an amazing building. and is a tool God has used to help reach northeast Denver. But we recently found out it needs some help. Due to the heat of the Colorado sun, the freezing thawing of our winters, and even a bolt of lightning,
1: some of the concrete on the roof of Hangar 61 is damaged. That's why we're
0: starting a new campaign called Raise the Roof. We're seeking to raise $110,000 to repair our concrete roof and prevent it from further damage. Having our building allows us to impact the neighborhoods around us, house the many events and ministries we host here, and continue to help people follow Jesus. Won't you partner with us as we work together to raise the roof?
1: Sophie, and I'm I'm 10, and I'm in 5th grade. I was at my grandpa's church, and we were at communion, and he said, every the pastor said, everyone who believes in Christ may join. I talked to my mom to, um, to pray, to follow me, and said, great. Joshua Zeph, and my story is probably a pretty common one. Uh, I was raised Christian, um, baptized as a baby. Uh, My family, um, we went to church every Sunday, did the Sunday school thing, um, went to a Christian elementary school, uh, and basically just grew up with all those values instilled in me. Um, But around high school and college, I started to think that maybe Christianity wasn't something that I needed know, I thought I could do it by myself, I thought it was something that would kind of restrict me and tie me down, Um, so for a long time I kind of just renounced everything and um, tried to do it myself, Uh, went through college, just kind of wanted to do my own thing, Um, and then this year around Easter, uh, my girlfriend Taylor uh, took us to the Easter service with her family, Um, I just kind of tagged along because I felt like it was something I should do, uh, and something about that service was really special to me. Um, and then the weeks following, things started feeling different. Um, I started to feel that like religion was something that could be a part of my life again. Um, we started going to church every week. Um, things just kind of started building up faster and faster, and I realized that, uh, you know, just because I was raised this way doesn't mean that I the decision had to be made for me. Um, so that's why I'm really excited to get baptized, because this is the Time when I get to make the decision for myself and I get to show to everybody by myself my choice um, to follow Jesus. My name is Taylor Young. I um, started coming to this church um, around Easter more regularly. I um, decided to get baptized because I was raised Catholic, um, pretty Catholic family, very Catholic town, just kind of what everyone does. Um, and so I decided to get baptized and within the Stapleton Church because it's now, you know, my decision. And um, I never really felt away from the church. I've always believed. I've always had my faith. Um, but it's now something that's, like, my choice and something that I've decided to do on my own. Um, so it feels really good to be my decision and not just have my parents decide that I'm going to be raised a certain way, but then I'm going to believe in something because I want to and I chose to. How my name is Bill Torr. Before I was saved, I was lost. I believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I want to be the baptized because. Um, I love Jesus uh, very much. It, uh, it's a big step in getting to Jesus uh, and to follow him more.
0: Christ is your Lord and Savior. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Therefore I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the midst of life.) baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the peace of life. I believe we have one more. I'll dunk anybody else too if you're ready. Your Lord and Savior. Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the name of God.